the show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is the show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Well, it's an exciting day today. Um, Today marks six years of being on air, six years of conversation with you. That's 300 hours of audio, audio that is all archived. If you're so inclined and feeling a little brave, uh, right over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And for about, gosh, more than half of that time, which is just uh, really kind of mind-numbing to think about, uh, more than half of that time, we have been doing extra segments uh, 10 to 15 minutes of extra questions with our guest, and those are available to all those who support the show through Patreon. All, all of the episodes, I don't even know how many that is now that we've done that, um, but it's a lot, and you can access it all uh, over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that top link in the top right-hand corner of the page that says support the show hyphen Patreon. Anniversaries are an opportunity for us to to reflect back on our life, right? Uh, I've got a couple of big anniversaries that I that I mark life from. Uh, one, of course, is my birthday. Every year that rolls around and we celebrate it. And there are certain things that it's like, oh, I'm another year older. Let me take stock, right? And then the same thing: um, birthday, a wedding anniversary. Wedding anniversary rolls around. Uh, every year we celebrate it and we look and say, wow, another year is, has passed by. How have we grown? How's our relationship? What, what, what are the things that we are thankful for out of this, this past, uh, and name the number of years. Another one for me uh, is the day that I became a Catholic. And every year that rolls around and we, we celebrate it. And then we, we look at our, our life as Catholics. How are we growing? How are we uh, developing what what difference is the faith making in our lives and in the lives of our children? Uh, and here's the thing. We, we hear the term, what difference does it make? And sometimes we think that that might be nihilistic or somehow fatalistic as, as if we were asking that question um, rhetorically in, in a sense of, oh, well, you know, I tried. What difference does it make? No, no, no. This is not the way that we ask that question. We ask that question expecting that there will be an answer there is a difference that has been made. And so we ask that question to discern and to, to take the time to think about what that difference has been. And then the last uh, anniversary that I, I kind of mark my life by, my birthday and my wedding anniversary and the anniversary of my confirmation, uh, the last one is the anniversary of this show. And I, I, I ask that same question, what difference does it make? And I tell you, in, in just in my experience, I love this show. It makes a difference in my own understanding of the faith and it keeps me engaged in it. Uh, but I'm curious, what difference has it made in your life? Uh, why don't you come over to social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls or on Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls and uh, share with me a little bit of your experience with the show. How many years have you been listening? Uh, were you here from the beginning? Did you come in a little bit later? Uh, maybe an episode that really stood out to you as something that you enjoyed or something that challenged you. Uh, and let's have just a little time of reminiscing this week as we uh, steadily approach on towards Advent again. Uh, here as we come to the end of another year, uh, liturgically, but also the end of another year together on air. 
uh, let's have a week of reminiscing. So come and have that conversation and let's maybe share some of our favorite episodes. Uh, I'll be posting throughout the week some thoughts that I've had and I welcome your comment and your thoughts as well. I'm really excited about today's show because today we're going to to name what it is that we've been doing this whole time for the last six years. Um, we may have done that before, but we're going to do it again today as we talk about doing good Catholic theology. Uh, we're going to discuss a book with Father John Cush that he's recently written, uh, but this is really, in essence, what it is that you and I spend time doing each week. Uh, we're having these conversations so that we can do solid, good theology. Uh, and theology is a word that belongs to all of us because theology is is just the process of learning about God, of meditating on God, of thinking deeply about God and our relationship to God. Uh, and everything, of course, that we can think about God is a question of relationship. Really, in essence, doing solid, good theology is a question of asking, who am I to God and who is God to me? And anything less than that uh, might be some solid academics, but it's not really a solid theology. Uh, and that means that you and I are capable of, of engaging with theology in this way. Uh, there's a great book, we're going to talk about it here in a bit, called The How-To Book of Catholic Theology. But before we get to that, I want to spend some time doing a little theology with you. And maybe to highlight in this uh, this story, this personal story of mine, the difference between the academic knowledge of who God is and the deep theological understanding of who God is. Uh, and, and we'll see that a little bit also with one of my favorite stories with St. Thomas Aquinas, which we'll get to here in a bit. Um, I grew up in a home that was religious. It was a, a, of a Protestant faith tradition. And, and I grew up hearing about, you know, God's provision, God's care for us, uh, that, um, that God loved us and wanted to be uh, in relationship with us. I grew up hearing these things, but I remember a couple of conversion points in my life where that knowledge uh, became appropriated. The, I, I, re, I recall the first time that I understood what it meant uh, to be, that God loved me, that it what the love of God looks like. Uh, and and to that point, I had heard about it and I could repeat it, but I hadn't received it. And so I remember that day where I received the idea that that God loved me in a way that was more than just um, a, an academic thought. And then, you know, God provides for us. I, I believe that and I could repeat that, and I heard that, and I was told that story over and over and over again. But I have come to understand that through walking through difficulties in my own life, that God is present with me, and what that presence looks like as I receive him through the sacraments, but I also receive extraordinary graces from his as well. I come to understand theology through my experience of God. Otherwise, those thoughts are floating around, but if I can say, oh, well, God's all-powerful and God takes care of my needs, but I never experience that or, or have the opportunity, then I, I don't really—I know that about God, but I, I don't know that uh, in God, right? This is good theology, is coming to move beyond an, 
a, an ascent and an understanding and an intellectual place and to a place of intimacy and experience. So this means good theology wrestles with the ideas of God being merciful and just and kind and and slow to anger and abounding in love, right? As we hear these phrases that we've heard repeated in Scripture, we come to wrestle with them so that we can unwrap them out of the shell of their their sterile definition and come to really sit with them and, and dwell in them. These ideas and these concepts and these words uh, that we use about God, they're not just placeholders. They're not just empty words. They represent a level of relationship that we are called to, that we're called as disciples and apostles and children of God to come and engage and wrestle with. And again, we go back to that story uh, from St. Thomas Aquinas, who wrote these brilliant treatises unlocking so much uh, about God and some unlocking deep logic and deep understanding of of faith. And yet at the end of his life, he was finishing up a masterwork and he had this mystical, profound encounter with God and said, everything I've written doesn't do it justice. Everything I've written is straw compared to this knowing of God. Now, here's the thing. Um, this isn't to say that his work is is bad. His work is the, the best work that the church has. And yet even he would say, this pales in comparison to knowing what I know, to seeing what I see about God. That ought to serve not, a dis, not as a discouragement for us, but as an encouragement. This should drive us to going to do deep theology because it moves us towards knowing Right, so here's here's an instance. I said, yeah, I I heard and I could repeat and I could tell you that God was faithful and just and kind, uh, but I I hadn't come to understand it. Well, that doesn't mean that it was bad that I could say that He was just and kind and good and and abounding in compassion, right? Because without being able to say that, without having come to an intellectual assent it would be almost impossible for me to come to a spiritual understanding. Uh, I start with coming to know these things about him before I enter into a place of knowing him, right? We start with that name tag that says, hello, my name is, and eventually we come into a relationship where we don't need the name tag anymore and then where we can't remember ever not having known the name. And so we start with this thinking deeply, thinking deeply about the things of God, meditating deeply on the scriptures that we have been given, but not stopping there. It's not just about thought. It's not just about thinking. It's about coming to an intimate knowledge. And this, this is the the theology that makes a difference. This is the theology that doesn't just stay as intellect, but comes and becomes a part of our will and our action. This is what I mean in the opening of the show when I say uh, that it reverberates through the creed, reverberates through our daily lives, that there is a resonance from our belief to our full, deep gut understanding of God. And this, this is how we do good Catholic 
theology. But let's dig into this topic a little bit more and with someone who knows a little bit better than I about it. We're going to be talking today with Father John Cush. He's a priest of the uh, the Diocese of Brooklyn. Uh, he's currently the academic dean and a formation advisor for the Pontifical North American College in Rome, uh, an adjunct professor uh, of theology at the Pontifical Gregorian University and an adjunct professor of church history at the Pontifical University of the Holy Cross. So he's not busy at all, uh, but we're thrilled to have him join us today to talk about a new book, like I said, not busy at all, uh, on our Sunday Visitor Press, osv.com, called The How-To Book, of Catholic theology. And I have to tell you, I was really excited when I got my hands on this. And so I'm looking forward to having this conversation. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, TL. What a pleasure it is to be with you and also to pray with you before. That to me is such a great thing that you really set me at ease as an author and as, and as a priest that really not used to dealing so much with social media and also dealing with radio. So thank you for that. Well, and as someone picks up this book, they'll notice also the very first thing that you do there in the introduction is to say, let's begin with a prayer. And as we talk about Catholic theology, you know, we have to really kind of orient ourselves to what it is we're talking about, because we hear that term. Uh, maybe we have known or heard of theologians, and maybe they've been theologians that we've been not sure about. We've Maybe they're a little questionable or or, or some other thing that has colored our understanding of theology to make us think of people who are out of touch with the faith, who are looking at things in a purely academic manner. And so why would I, here's the how-to book of Catholic theology, why would I want to do Catholic theology? What would you say to that such a person? Well, thank you so much, Theo, for that question, because part of it comes down to when we get to know Jesus, we fall in love with him. We're so, we really get to know him the same way, like, in a secular realm or a natural realm, I should say, like if we were to encounter another person whom we really just adore, we think they're wonderful. We want to know about them, what they think, what they feel, what their family is like even. And that's what we get when we encounter our Lord Jesus. We encounter our Lord Jesus and we grow in knowledge of him and love of him through theology. We get to know his, his family, uh, the saints, the church, through our study of theology. And we get to know what he thinks through our study of sacred scripture, sacred tradition, and the magisterium of the church. Mm -hmm. So as we're approaching theology, uh, one of the things you mentioned is that you're already, the person reading this book, you're already a theologian. What kind of theologian is the big question? And it reminds me of this this cartoon of, uh, of peanuts with Linus and Lucy sitting in a window and it's just pouring rain. And, and Lucy says, what would happen if it just rained and rained and rained and filled up the whole earth and, and there was just this massive flood? And Linus responds, it'll never do that. In the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that that would never happen again. And the sign of the, the promise is the rainbow. And Lucy responds, you've taken a great load off my mind to which Linus says, sound theology has a way of doing that. That is great. And sound theology does have a way of doing that because we're not speaking about something that's abstract. We're speaking about someone whom we love. Mm -hmm. This is a sacred science. What St. Thomas Aquinas calls the sacra doctrina. 
And we grab what we can and we try to incorporate that into our lives and we learn whom he is, our Lord Jesus, by speaking about like, what can we grasp about him through sacred tradition? Yeah. What can we grasp about through through sacred scripture? And also, what does the church teach? And part of it is there's many different ways of being a theologian. Yes, there's people like me that spend their time studying uh, for a formal degree and teaching it. But the, but some of our listeners, they're, they're as much theologian as me because they pray and they encounter our Lord Jesus. And, you know, they, they go out and bring the, the Lord Jesus to people who are suffering. They're as much theologian as me, a theologian on, on, on his or her knees, a theologian in a classroom. And a theologian, um, really, um, who is basically going out and giving what what they have uh, through through other aspects of their lives and and totality. So, and in reality, we're all not called to be the same type of theologian. And you bring this up in the book. You talk about three different kinds of theology: the the spiritual theology, the academic theology, and uh, as you put it, the theology of the streets. And you gave us some different right. different saints to encounter with. And I was interested in that because, uh, as you're mentioning, uh, practical theology, right? Um, spiritual the- theology and uh, and Acad- academic theology. You're also mentioning the types of formation that a priest has to go through pastoral formation, right. spiritual formation, and academic formation. Mm-hmm. And at the balance, remember St. John Paul II was such, I mean, my gosh, to have encountered him, I was a seminarian here in Rome mm-hmm. from 1994 to 1999. So five beautiful years with him as my Pope. And now I'm blessed to be here since 2015 uh, in in Rome as a faculty member at the seminary at the Pontifical North American College uh, with Pope Francis. But when you encountered Pope uh, John Paul II, you felt like you were in the presence of someone who was like, you, your breath would go, this is like you're in the presence of the Lord. And you get that in the same way with Pope Francis, obviously different because they're different people. But John Paul really pushed in his letter, Pastora da Bobobis, uh, his encyclical, um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, it's not an encyclical, it's a uh, post-synodal exhortation. Uh, basically, what he gives us is this idea that there's four different dimensions of the of the formation of a priest. There's a, uh, a human formation, there is a spiritual formation, there is a intellectual formation, and a pastoral formation. And as St. Thomas Aquinas, who really is our special patron, we have to admit, right? Mm-hmm. Because he's the patron of all education, Catholic education. Uh, nemo dot quad non habit. The Latin is, you can't give what you don't have. So unless you have one of those things, you can't give it. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, really what I try to emphasize in uh, the how-to book of Catholic theology. Like we have to really integrate ourselves between who we are as people, what we do um, uh, in our prayer, what we do in our study, and how we live our lives as Christians. Well, and that's one of the things that I'm very interested in. We talk about on this show a lot is how do we live out our faith? What are the implications of our faith on our daily life? And basically what we're doing here every week is theology, but we don't often call it that because again, as I said, a lot of people are maybe unsettled or uncertain with that word. But as we 
seek to answer that universal call to holiness. We we seek to live out our faith in a way that uh, we become saints, right? That we enjoy the beatific vision at the end of our life and that we get glimpses of it here along the way. Um, that there, there is this need to get to know the Lord better. And we don't typically think of that as theology, but it is. Uh, and, it really is. and here you talk about one of the best ways to grow to know God better is to do good theology. Yeah, because part of it is like, our theology has to be rooted in Jesus. The difference would be, um, like, without being rude or anything else, if I were a secular scholar, mm-hmm. and I were to study everything I possibly could about Islamic theology, and become a great expert in every possible aspect of Quran or Islamic studies, I still wouldn't be a theologian because mm-hmm. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I'd be a professor of religious studies. I'd be an expert in Islamic studies or Jewish studies or even Christian studies were I not a Christian. I have to have a, a wholehearted belief in our Lord Jesus Christ if I'm going to truly be a theologian. So I think theology requires a personal commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm as well as a personal commitment to the church that this is, uh, and all she does teach, you know, in all aspects of that. So I think that aspect is really important for us as um, when we begin our study of theology. Yeah. Our believers may not, uh, our our listeners may not have like technical vocabulary, which is why I went through the vocabulary, Mm -hmm. you know, ecclesiology, et cetera. But they know this stuff because they, they feel it. They've yeah. heard it. They heard it preached, and they've lived it for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years throughout their whole lives. Going back to your earlier analogy of wanting to learn everything about this person, this other person that you might have fallen in love with. I, I'm a, a parent, which means that I'm also married. I've uh, been married for a number of years, and I, I'm going to go back to that analogy thinking of um, there are— I, I can be a better husband because of how well I know my wife. If I know how to anticipate her needs, if I know what specific things are going to bring her joy, and I can do those things before they're requested or before they're needed, then all of a sudden that relationship grows stronger. And yet it never gets boring because here, many years down the road, I can still go, really? I never... I never knew that about you. That's a story that you've not told me before. And so there's still ways and, and many things to unpack and many things to learn. Uh, and yet I become better at, in my relationship to her because of growing in knowledge as well. Absolutely not. We're, we will in, in, on the natural level or even the sacramental level of a, of a, of a Christian marriage, we grow in the idea of knowledge of the other, and but still the other is a mystery to us. Mm-hmm. Remember, if we look at the other as a mystery to be lived in, and this is from a great um, um, Catholic uh, philosopher, Gabriel Marcel, a mystery to be lived in rather than um, a problem to be solved. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I'm sure like one of the things I've heard for a husband's um, hear from wives in my life as a, diocesan priest was, please don't try to solve 
my problem. Just listen to me. Yeah. And that's that, and, and that's kind of what we are in our spiritual lives. We'll never grasp on this level of earth. You know, November reminds us of that because we have all saints and all souls. This whole month devoted to the holy souls. You know, um, we're, we live in the mystery who is God. We experience the mystery of God, but we'll never understand him on this reign, on this plane of existence. You know, and when his reign, when we go to him and we experience his reign in glory, we'll, we'll still not completely grasp who the Lord is. So it's a great blessing. And I think that analogy that I really try to push uh, at the very beginning of the how-to book of Catholic theology, you know, of falling in love with our subject um, really does work in that sense that we should get excited about what we're doing. So in, in the last uh, couple of minutes of this segment, uh, I want to ask you, can you pinpoint a story of a time that you really caught yourself falling in love with God that drew you into becoming a theologian? Absolutely. And I, it's a strange thing for me to say because I was already a third year theologian at um, the North American College here in Rome. It was the year 1997. And in my last year of my STB um, studies, you know, uh, which is the baccalaureate for theology, which every priest must get to be ordained a priest. You know, so I'm there and I'm sitting in there and it's Italian, so actually a German professor droning on in Italian. And all of a sudden listening to him made me realize, boom, everything makes sense. Mm-hmm. The idea of the creation of that, that God is that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that God loves us so much that he sends his Son to us in our, uh, through salvation history, the Incarnation, the Immaculate Conception, uh, the Annunciation, everything suddenly, boom. Not that I, I can't claim to understand everything, of, of course not. But like the, the Catholic Church in all of her teachings is completely, totally coherent. So when I hear like, this is not coherent with that, our dogmatic teaching, our moral teaching, our spiritual teaching, all go together. If we understand the whole nature of who we are, created in God's image and likeness, loved to life by God, redeemed by the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, who opens his arms wide on the cross, an embrace of love for you and me, um, and then we have the foundation through the power of the Holy Spirit, given to us of the church, it makes sense that theological anthropology, which is a big word, which we can talk about later, a lot of big words, mm-hmm. our Lord loves us and he wants to tell us all about who he is. And that's what theology is, him telling us his story. And then people who are blessed enough to be asked or given the privilege of studying his life, and that can be all of us, mm-hmm. not just those who are sent for further degrees, but all those who can study theology, to really talk about our Lord. So I'm, I'm really excited that uh, the Lord has blessed me with, the, with this gift of theology in my own life. We're talking today with Father John Cush, priest of the Diocese of Brooklyn, currently the academic dean and a formation advisor at the Pontifical North American College in Rome, about his book, The How-To Book of Catholic Theology, available right now on our Sunday visitor, osv.com. Come join the ongoing conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle's at outside the walls. There's much more to come right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Putnam.
Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L., and we're talking today with, uh, with Father John Cush. He's a priest of the Diocese of Brooklyn, but right now he's uh, over in Rome as the, the ad- academic dean for the North American College in Rome. Um, help us understand, there's a number of pontifical universities over there. Um, the, the, the North American College is, uh, you have students in each of those different pontifical sure. universities. So explain kind of what the pontifical North American College is. Thank you, T.L. Basically, what uh, one of my students, uh, who's a fine young man, fine young priest, I should say now, who is from uh, West Virginia, described me once as uh, the academic dean of a seminary that doesn't grant a degree nor hold major classes in the house. So I, <laughs> I, I, in, in reality, my job as the academic dean is to coordinate all the different classes that the men, the seminarians take at the different universities. In the Roman program, there's three levels of study. There's the STB, which is the Baccalaureate of Sacred Theology. There's the STL, which is a license in Sacred Theology, a basic master's degree plus a teaching certification. And the STD, which is an unfortunately named degree currently. <laughs> no. But the STD is the doctorate in sacred theology. So my job for our seminarians is to get them into the STB program starting. Um, so we have three different universities. We have the Pontifical Gregorian University, which is run by the Society of Jesus, the Jesuits, um, founded by Ignatius Loyola himself uh, as the Roman college many, many years ago. And the students take um, three years of studies. And the approach really is through start with sacred scripture, then go through sacred tradition, and then study the magisterium and then any other speculative theology. Mm-hmm. And uh, all the studies that they would take, with the exception of like my class and, and introduction to theology, or my class in U.S. Catholic Church history, are more or less in Italian. Mm-hmm. The second most populated place for our seminarians is the Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas, the Angelicum, which is run by the Dominican Fathers, and their approach would be to follow the Summa Theologia by St. Thomas Aquinas and really give our seminarians and our lay people, uh, we actually have many lay students that are in these universities as well, uh, lay men and women, uh, an approach to um, theology through more of a systematic, a scholastic approach. And it really does work as well. There's also now for a few students whose bishops send them there, uh, a fine school called the Pontifical University of the Holy Cross, Santa Croce, which is run by the Prelature of the Holy Cross. And they approach their uh, studies really in a similar way, almost, I, I think about it as a combination between the two, between going through that genetic method, that resourcement method, and that scholastic method, you know, that's offered by both the Gregorian and, this, uh, and uh, the Angelicum. On the license level, the men will specialize in different fields, whether it be um, moral theology, dogmatic, biblical, spiritual, etc. And on the doctorate level, um, which I was like sent back for a few years later after my ordination, uh, you also specialize and you really focus on one particular topic. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about um, how to engage with theology, because all of these different uh, seminaries are offering uh, the ability to begin to think theologically. You mentioned something in the last segment 
uh, of theology as a mystery to be lived in and not a problem to be solved. And I think a lot of times as we look at academics, we think of academics specifically as a tool to help us solve problems. Uh, and we can approach mm. theology that way too as we get into the academic nature of it, as we study uh, logic and philosophy and and get into uh, the, the theological works like those of, of uh, then Cardinal Ratzinger and, and Pope John Paul II. Uh, and who thought and presented the faith in such clear and precise theological ways, we look at um, at theology as this black and white, once you read it, it's answered, and look, here, I'm going to throw this book on the table because it's going to solve and answer the question and, and, and um, make everyone else be quiet because here it is, it's been spoken, we don't have to do any more work. And, and this is not what theology primarily is if we're looking at it relationally, as you brought up in the beginning of your book. So talk a little bit about what does it look like to do theology as mystery rather than as problem solving? Thank you, T.L. I think that's a, such a wonderful point that, yes, there are certain things. There are, obviously, we were blessed with the catechism of the Catholic Church. My gosh, mm-hmm. what a gift St. John Paul II gave us the catechism. What a gift we have with a good Catholic annotated study Bible, with the documents of the Second Vatican Council or the documents of the church, the magisterium that may come in, um, you know, something like, um, and in part of my book, I give a good, uh, I hope a good uh, study guide, like things like people might want to invest in, uh, like uh, a good copy of what we call Denzinger, which mm-hmm. is all the collections of the church's teaching. But basically, remember, we're reading this, uh, reading theology as getting to know about someone whom we love. We're getting to know about our Lord Jesus. And we're getting to know like how what, what different people say about them. So obviously we have a clear and concise guide that our uh, that our Holy Church has recommended with St. Thomas Aquinas. Mm-hmm. You know, he's Dr. Comunis. So when we read St. Thomas Aquinas, we, we get um, really what uh, he wants us to um, the church really wants us to get as a structure, but then we go through other different theologians, whether that be Hans Urs and Balthasar, or as you mentioned, Cardinal Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI, or we go through um, the point of view of um, so many different other people. The idea is like we're learning a little bit each time. We're chipping at that mystery, knowing that we'll never solve it, but there's different ways of approaching it. Um, recently, I was blessed to be asked by Father uh, Bishop Robert Barron to ask uh, to to do a um, introduction to his own theology for Word on Fire, and I realized like part of Bishop Barron's approach is to recognize the humility in front of the face of mystery, mm-hmm. and I think that's an important thing. We're we're humble in front of this. We'll never truly understand this. This is not like a medical science or a historical science although that's part of it. Well, we're falling in love with Jesus and Jesus is teaching us through his bride, the church. And that's to me is the most exciting thing. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think, and maybe this was part of my experience or, or anticipation as well. We hear theology and maybe immediately we go in our heads to the councils. And so here we see that there was some point of faith that was challenged and then the councils came and they defined things for us. And now we have this definition of dogma and, and it settled the question. And, and this is important for the church to have. We have this magisterial uh, 
office to keep us um, in a good and solid theology, because sound theology has a way of bringing us to holiness, and it has a way of calming our our anxieties as well. Uh, And yet, I think that we come to the conclusion that all theology— is that kind of theology that it that it absolutely defines things and um, cuts out any other possible interpretation and theology uh, the the church has these defined dogmas but they're few and far between and there are many things that the church says yeah that's a really interesting way to look at it but we're not going to define that and you're free to to dance around that a little bit right I think that's a great point. Within reason, obviously. Yes. Because there's certain things are not, um, we can't go forward. If it's, I think the way for me, the way I was taught to do theology is, here's a question. Let's look at the question through sacred, and in one of my chapters, I try to do that through two different ways, mm-hmm. both ways in which I studied, because I was blessed to study at the Pontifical Gregorian University, which is the Jesuit school that I mentioned, as well as the Dominican school, the Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas. So I learned both the method of the, um, you know, a genetic method, what they call a resource bond method, as well as a scholastic method. And they're both beautiful ways. One takes apart each thing. Okay, here was the question, for instance, of our Blessed Mother Mary's um, perpetual virginity. Boom. What does sacred scripture say? What does sacred tradition say? What does the magisterium say? What does speculative theology say? Putting that off to the side, but looking at it nonetheless. Mm-hmm. That's a genetic method. And then if we go through a scholastic method, or a systematic method, we look at it as a whole. Look, okay, we're not trying to break it apart, we're trying to put it together. Mm-hmm. These two methods are not in opposition at all. They're really ways of teaching the same thing and maybe they'll appeal to our minds at different places. There are times where I look at myself like, boy, am I really looking at through a, um, a resource mod, going back to the sources, or going through a scholastic method? But they're not in opposition. Right. And I think that's important for our readers to realize, our listeners to realize. So let's say we have a person who is intrigued by this. They want to know more. They've fallen in love with Jesus. They they go to adoration. They spend time in prayer. They uh, they do the spiritual and corporal works of mercy. And now they want to understand a little bit more about it. Of course, the first thing they need to do is pick up the how-to book of Catholic theology, uh, available <laughs> on our Sunday visitor, uh, because it does provide a nice little guide and an overview of everything. And then there in the very back, there are these lovely little appendices uh, of specific book recommendations, how to build a library of, of theology, how to build a library of good Catholic fiction, which, uh, you know, that's hard sometimes to find. Uh, and then a good, li- I mean, you've got four different appendixes of um, here's a good library to start with, uh, maybe 40, 50 books in here. Um it's a great place to start, but let's talk about the role of literature in good theology. Oh, I'm so glad you asked me that. I had a great colleague here, another formator, uh, who's now um, a pastor in the in diocese of Birmingham, Alabama, Father John Geary McDonald. And Father McDonald was um, the, um, he was our chair of homiletics, which is teaching priests how to preach. And he was a dear friend. We had obviously worked together. We had breakfast together every morning. 
for uh, four, uh, five years. We're, we had a great experience uh, together here at the North American College. And Father uh, and I were speaking one morning about how many of the seminarians don't know literature. And you could see that how their homiletic, perhaps, their, their, their approach to preaching was slightly limited because the, the vocabulary they used, like, do they know the Odyssey? Right. Do they know the Iliad? Do they know Sherlock Holmes? Do they know Wuthering Heights, Brothers Karamazov? I'm not trying to be a classicist or saying, like, well, you must know this aspect as part of Western culture, but it, we are part of Western culture, and we should know a basic classical literature aspect, but also Catholic literature. Graham Greene, mm-hmm. Walker Percy, Flannery O'Connor, Morris West. These people really can teach us about the motions of grace. Yeah. Dante Alighieri. I mean, my gosh, I, my dream to do one day for our seminarians, if we ever uh, can do so uh, in the current situation in Italy, is to take the, the young men on a, uh, a day uh, Alighieri uh, literary pilgrimage to Florence. That yeah. would, because we can see where the, what, what these people went through. Literature can inform who we are. And that literature, and one of the priests um, who I mentioned again in my book, and um, Father Robert Lauder, who now I think is in his mid to late 80s, who was my professor of philosophy when I was in the college seminary, a teacher at St. John's University in New York, taught me this stuff to embrace film, good film, good culture, good literature, good art. And where can you see the transcendent in that? And that's no different than what Bishop Barron speaks about, how beauty and Balthazar in many ways, how beauty can attract us and lead us to goodness and ultimately to truth. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I one of my favorites is um, Bruce Marshall, to add to your list. Uh, has some wonderful, wonderful works out there. One of my favorites is The World, the Flesh, and Father Smith. I just now got a book called To Every Man a Penny, uh, and I'm beginning to read through that. And one of the things that is important, I think, about literature is um, it'll take a couple of steps to get there. A friend of mine used to say, write to find out what you're thinking, right? Um, The process of writing helps us to clarify what it is we're actually thinking, and specifically, I think writing with a pen because it takes time and our thoughts are able to catch up, right? We, we get to chew on that thought when we're writing with a pen, but in order to write well, you need to read well, right? The process of reading literature helps us to form our intellect in such a way that we can write uh, in a way that makes sense. And so there, I think that there's this benefit of, uh, of being able to clarify our own thoughts through the things that we read that other people have written. Absolutely. And as you say that, I took out of my pocket my fountain pen. And uh, I'm one of the few here in our seminary that uses a fountain pen because it it, it's, it makes you think about what you want to write. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as much as I love my computer and my laptop and my um, cell phone and everything, to actually sit down, you're at, to write down what we think, it's an investment of who we are. It's an extension of who we are. And I think that we might need to go back to that, especially for us who are priests as hum, as homilists. Not this is, I, and I was just compare, uh, writing a homily for Thursday. The next time I'm the celebrant of the, our community mass here at the seminary is Thursday. I just wrote it on the, uh, on the computer. But I know that what I'll ultimately do is go through it with my pen. 
Mm-hmm. I make sure this is where I want to do. And what I'm doing with uh, our seminarians here at, um, at the North American College is every other Sunday, we do a book club. And it sounds like, you know, a little little fay, et cetera. But I'm making, this semester we're doing Dune by Frank Herbert. Mm-hmm. And the idea of like, okay, going through who was the Muhadib or the Messiah? And where are we seeing different things in, in science fiction? Or, um, and um, I'm looking forward to going through secular literature like Frank Herbert, but also Catholic literature with them and in, in the, in, just to get them thinking and to get the Catholic imagination kicking, you know? And I think uh, what we have to realize that is that every good author is seeking to explore the human condition. And for us to understand the human condition is for us to understand our need for God, but then also to understand how we interact with the divine. And so yeah. there's a benefit, no matter what piece of literature you're looking at, it's going to unfold some truth because all truth is God's truth. Yes, indeed. And we're not segmented from the truth. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I, I, I think about often. Like um, about two weeks ago, I was teaching a class at Santa Croce University in church history. And I try to describe the idea of um, the difference between a Protestant understanding of the, of theological anthropology, which basically means the way we, we are as human beings in light of God. That's a fancy word to say that. And a Catholic understanding. And I described the difference between um, the um, Dark Knight movies right. and the Superman movies. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea that the Dark Knight movies are, uh, we see Batman always in the darkness. We only see, uh, you know, even we see, um, you know, Batman in uh, the light, it's kind of grayed over, etc. cetera. Where Superman, we always see him in the light. Superman is, not, I'm not going to get involved in a million different <laughs> on DC versus whatever. You know, like the Superman idea is that this is a Catholic idea that the world is good and worth saving. Where as opposed to the idea of like, kind of the world has fallen, yeah. you know? And so you can find different aspects within that. We're talking today with Father John Cush. Uh, he's the academic dean of the Pontifical North American College in Rome and has this wonderful new book, The How-To Book of Catholic Theology, available now on our Sunday visitor, osv.com. Father, thank you so much for joining us on air. Thank you for having me. If you missed any part of my conversation with Father Cush or you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media, Have no fear, all of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. All 300 hours, six years worth of episodes, you can go back and listen to them all. And if you are listening to that many episodes, let me tell you, um, I've got the the perfect solution for you. We've got extra segments for about half that time uh, where we, after our conversation with our guests, have... Uh, just sneaked a couple of extra thoughts, a couple of extra questions in, about 10 or 15 minutes each time. Those segments are available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. So while you're there listening to 300 Hours at OutsideTheWalls.com, look up in the top right-hand corner of the page. There you'll see the Support the Show hyphen Patreon button, and you can join that community. Let's go ahead now and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. You can get your own Verbum Library by going to Verbum.com. So I wanted to jump off this idea of doing Catholic theology, about falling in love with the person of Jesus Christ. 
Our reading from Scripture today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, and this is Jesus' last meal with his disciples before he went on to his passion. He's imparting to them important conversations, and he's teaching them, as he has been this whole time, to do theology. This theology that they've been doing is they have been coming to know and love Christ for the last three years of ministry. Now he's leaving them with this, and I think it's, it's pertinent to our conversation today. I am the vine, and my father is the vine grower. He takes away every branch in me that does not bear fruit, and every one that does, he prunes so that it bears more fruit. You are already pruned because of the word that I spoke to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit on its own unless it remains in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit, because without me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me will be thrown out like a branch and wither. People will gather them and throw them into a fire and they will be burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father loves me, so I also love you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my commandment. Love one another as I love you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer call you slaves because a slave does not know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have told you everything I have heard from my Father. It was not you that chose me, but I who chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit that will remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. This, this I command you, love one another. That reading comes from the Gospel of John 15. And here with his first theologians, Jesus is saying, start with love, start here. And it affects our relationship with the Father and with the Son, but also with the world around us. This is the place of good theology. Good theology isn't just pie in the sky, it's boots on the ground. Because the love of Christ compels us and urges us on into works of charity. And we see it play out as well, because here the disciples started with love. And yet we see that empowered by the Holy Spirit, they went out and made a profound difference in the world around them. Our reading from church history today comes from a discourse by St. Andrew of Crete. Let us say to Christ, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Let us wave before him like palm branches, the words inscribed above him on the cross. Let us show him honor, not with olive branches, but with the splendor of merciful deeds to one another. 
Let us spread the thoughts and desires of our hearts under his feet like garments, so that entering with the whole of his being, he may draw the whole of our being into himself and place the whole of his in us. Let us say to Zion in the words of the prophet, Have courage, daughter of Zion. Do not be afraid. Behold, your king comes to you, humble and mounted on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. He is coming, who is everywhere present and pervades all things. He is coming to achieve in you his work of universal salvation. He is coming who came to call to repentance, not the righteous, but sinners, coming to recall those who have strayed into sin. Do not be afraid then. God is in the midst of you, and you shall not be shaken. Receive him with open, outstretched hands, for it was on his hands, his own hands, that he sketched you. Receive him who laid your foundations on the palms of his hands. Receive him for he took upon himself all that belongs to us except sin to consume what is ours in what is his. Be glad, city of Zion, our mother, and fear not. Celebrate your feasts. Glorify him for his mercy who has come to us in you. Rejoice exceedingly, daughter of Jerusalem. Sing and leap for joy. Be enlightened. Be enlightened, we cry to you, as holy Isaiah trumpeted. For the light has come to you, and the glory of the Lord has risen over you. What kind of light is this? It is that which enlightens every man coming into the world. It is the everlasting light, the timeless light revealed in time, the light manifested in the flesh, although hidden by nature, the light that shone round the shepherds and guided the magi. It is the light that was in the world from the beginning, through which the world was made, yet the world did not know it. It is that light which came to its own, and its own people did not receive it. And what is the glory of the Lord? Clearly. It is the cross on which Christ was glorified. He, the radiance of the Father's glory, even as he said when he faced his passion, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him, and he will glorify him at once. The glory of which he speaks here is his lifting up on the cross. For Christ's glory is his cross and his exaltation upon it, as he plainly says, when I have been lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. That reading from church history comes from a discourse by St. Andrew of Crete. And as we look toward Advent for the coming of Christ, let us, as we were encouraged by St. Andrew, receive him with open and outstretched hands. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Today's show was brought to you by Anil Thomas and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link in the top right-hand corner and join their numbers. Join me over on social media, Facebook.com slash StepOutsideTheWalls. On Twitter, the handle's at OutsideTheWalls. Let's have a conversation and let nothing disturb you. Let nothing affright you. All things are passing, but God is unchanging. Patience obtains all things. Who has God lacks nothing. 
God alone suffices.